Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm lucky to be here. <laughs> like, I didn't go to school for this. I have no background or training in this. I just do this and people yeah. pay me money for it, I guess. Like, <laughs> I do have imposter syndrome. I'm like, they're going to figure out that I'm just like flying by the seat of my pants no. one of these days. Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, June Thomas. And I'm your other host, Karen Hahn. Karen, it's so nice to be talking with you again. How are things? They're pretty, pretty good. Uh, Not to pull back the curtain too far, but it has been a big Karen June recording day, which is always a delight for me. (laughs) Same. Hard same. I am extremely curious to know whose voice we heard at the top of the show. So the voice that you heard was Drusilla Adeline. She is a graphic designer whose work you've probably seen and might even own. For instance, if you own the Criterion editions of David Lynch's The Elephant Man or Chan is Missing or the Scorsese Shorts, or if you've seen the recent posters for the movie Armageddon Time, Bodies, 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 or Funny Pages, you will actually have seen her work before. And if you are a art house horror film fan, you may know her from her podcast, Bloodhouse Pod. Wow. So as you mentioned, she recently did the poster for the movie Armageddon Time. I recommend that listeners Google that poster, which I did. But Mm -hmm. for those who aren't able to, could you describe it? Yeah, absolutely. So we get into her design process a little bit in the interview, but just to give you a mental image of it, it's sort of simplistic. It features a illustrated um, skyline of New York and uh, the roster of names sort of coming down the middle. And it's very, very evocative of 60s and 70s movie posters, if you are familiar with that style. Amazing. And I believe you asked Drusilla some questions that are intended exclusively for the ears of Slate Plus members. What will they hear? Yeah. So while we were talking, I couldn't help but notice that she has this really beautiful array of movie posters behind her. So I asked her to share with us what they are, why she likes them as a sort of way of getting a sense of what she likes as a designer. Fantastic. This is obviously going to be a fascinating Slate Plus segment. And if you're a Slate Plus member, you'll get to hear that at the end of the show. If for some unfathomable reason you are not yet a member of Slate Plus, why not sign up today? It's super easy and you will get extra segments on shows like The Waves, The Culture Gab Fest and, well, working. Some (laughs) shows like Decoder Ring and Big Mood Little Mood produce entire episodes just for members. And, well, little thing, you will never hit a paywall on the Slate site. If you would like to sign up, just go to slate.com slash working plus. All right, now let's listen in on Karen's conversation with Drusilla Adeline. Hello. 
Hello, Drusilla. Thank you so much for coming on to Working. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. I'm such a huge fan. And I'm such a huge fan of yours, and I'm so excited to talk about the work that you've done. And so I wanted to start on one of your most recent works. You designed the poster for the new James Gray movie, Armageddon Time, which is so fucking cool. And in your tweet about it, you mentioned that it was designed at Granson Creative under the creative direction of George McWilliams. And as someone who has no idea how any of this works, can you explain what that means? Yeah, absolutely. So I had been working as a freelance designer for like five years now under the kind of Sister Hyde imprint that I made for myself. Yeah. But then at the top of this year, I got the opportunity to go in-house at Granson Creative, who for years has been a Clio award-winning trailer mm-hmm. house. They cut the trailers for like Uncut Gems mm-hmm. and Good Time and A Star is Born and Euphoria and like... They're a big deal, and they were starting a print division to do posters. Okay. And I was fortunate enough to be asked to join the ground floor of that as an art director, and I was like, this is a great opportunity. I want to push myself, because I felt like I'd been, you know, stagnating a little bit in terms of doing, like, Blu-ray covers and the occasional poster here and there, and I felt like I'd found a niche for myself and a style for myself, but I don't like to be pigeonholed. Yeah. So I was like, I've never done A24 posters. I've never done, like, Mm -hmm. big, wide-release posters and worked in that environment. Let's see what I can do. How can I challenge myself? Yeah. And so George McWilliams is the creative director there, and he is incredible. He's one of the best designers in the game, and he's been in the game for a very long time, and he's incredibly kind and intelligent, and I was like... This is the person who I want to be my mentor. Yeah. This is the person I want to work with. And he's been a delight. Um, and Armageddon Time was such a fun project to work on, to mm. get, because the thing that I love the most is leaning into 70s design. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I end up doing that a lot. Yeah. And it was, you know, trying to find ways of evoking this kind of 400 Blows-esque childhood view of New York in the late 70s, early 80s. And it was a blast. I'm very proud of that teaser poster. Yeah. That's out. It's something that I did really quickly and was like, there's no way this is ever going to get released and printed. (laughs) I just think it's cool. Yeah. Um, And it just kept coming back. We would send rounds out to the client and it would just keep coming back with like, either minimal or no notes, and I would just stick around for a while, and I was like, well, I'm glad they like it internally, but it's never going to get printed. And then <laughs> I was just at the AMC the other day to see yeah. Confess Fletch, and it was there, and I was like, oh, oh my shit. gosh, that's so exciting. And I, I wanted to ask a little more about that process as well. So you mentioned, I guess, that you submit several designs for each movie mm-hmm. to the client, and I, I want to start at the beginning of that process. Number one, do you get to see the movie before you work on it? Do you get to choose the movie you work on? And then after that, how much direction does the client give you as to what they want? So generally, you do not get to choose the movie you get to work on, okay. which is <laughs> a shame. Occasionally, when I was working freelance and just, just kind of by myself, yeah. when I was working with places like Mondo, mm-hmm. you could kind of come to them and be like, these are the movies I like. Mm-hmm. What do you guys have licensing access to right now? cool, maybe we'll try to find something like that that'll fit well with. Yeah. Um, But especially when it comes to agency studio stuff, it's a lot more like, hey, we have a relationship with this client. They have this new movie. Here we go. And on Mm -hmm. Armageddon time, 
the film hadn't been finished yet when we started on it. So we had uh, set photography and we had a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And that was it. We wow. eventually got to take a look at the film later on into the process and be like, yep, <laughs> just like the script. Cool. <laughs> but they came to us with a pretty open book. I mean, they, on Armageddon time, it was very open. It was very, very trusting, I think. They had some general ideas. They wanted to explore illustration mm-hmm. because the child in the film is uh, interested in art and illustration and wants to be a comic book artist. And so they want to explore that option and, you know, would it be a fully illustrated poster like a 70s illustrated poster would be, like The Driver or something mm-hmm. along those lines? Or would it just incorporate illustrated elements? Right. And so we you typically, uh, especially at Grandson, the way that we work is that we our first round, we kind of go wild and we do whatever we think might be appropriate for this movie, mm-hmm. keeping loosely in mind the constrictions, restraints, and goals that we're aiming for. We typically have certain buckets of, like, something that's funny, something that's light, something that's touching, something Mm -hmm. that focuses on this character, something that focuses on this emotional aspect of the movie or this relationship, or, you know, something that's grungier, something that's scarier, something that, you know... Yeah. Trying to hit these certain targets on it. But then, especially in the first round, we just try to come up with the coolest idea up front. Mm Mm-hmm. On Armageddon time, we kind of threw everything we had against the wall. And then our owner, Gertu, took a look at it, did a review with us. And his overall response was like, we should lead more 70s. Mm-hmm. We should look at more 70s movie posters and get closer to those and bring that in a little bit. And so my a lot of my background is in, as you can see from my the visual background, that listeners can't see as we're zooming <laughs> is I collect vintage movie posters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love the art of movie posters. I think yeah. they're gorgeous and I, they're huge and I love having them in my house because it's great art and it's tied to other great art. Mm-hmm. And so I pulled a bunch of great 70s posters by like Phil Gibbs and um, other great iconic artists in the 70s. And I really honed in on the posters for Hal Ashby Shampoo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for the Saul J. Terrell documentary, The Love Goddesses. Mm-hmm. And those are both very clean, minimal posters that are just like nothing but negative white space. And at the very bottom, there's a simple illustration of a woman on either mm-hmm. of them. On shampoo, it's a woman washing out her hair, and her hair is the title shampoo. It's freaking <laughs> gorgeous yeah. and genius. Uh, on The Love Goddesses, it's an illustration of a woman sitting on a settee, and the settee is the title of The Love Goddesses. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wouldn't it be neat to do something along this line that's like yeah. super clean, super graphic, minimal illustration? And so, yeah, quick illustration of New York City. I illustrated in <laughs> the Twin Towers, um, because that wouldn't be there in the references that we have. Yeah. And then I really honed in on getting some nice 70s type mm-hmm. and just kind of letting it breathe and speak for itself. Um, and so to circle back a little bit to what you're saying about the design process for this poster, and if you want to speak about it more generally, then great too. But what is the, I guess, the revision process like? Like, what are the rounds like as you have a design and then either scrap it for something else or kind of go through different iterations of this? What kind of feedback are you getting? I mean, it all depends on the client and the purpose of 
the work. And so generally speaking, I mean, a lot of the times the kind of stereotypical notes are make the actors bigger, make the type <laughs> bigger. We can't read the title. Yeah. Or sometimes they'll come to us with like corrections to a name. Sure. Um, where like an actor has changed their name in between production and distribution of something like that. Or it can be, like, complete, like, ground-up overhaul Mm -hmm. where you'll have, like, a piece with all of these actors and heads on it and this whole design. And they'll come back and they'll be like, use this shot from this, use this shot from this, use this shot from this, use this shot from this. Change the background to this color. Change the title to this font. Change Mm -hmm. this to that. And you're like, do you, you, would you like a Photoshop subscription? Would you like to, (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes they're that extreme. Sometimes it's like, let's make this word bigger. And then sometimes we try out taglines and it's a, you know, it's a healthy back and forth. And honestly, like, it's one of my favorite parts of the process is like needling and working on it. I like the kind of creative upfront, like throw everything at the wall stage, but there's a lot of pressure to that. Cause that's like the shortest timetable to like nail the thing. But as soon as you have it kind of done and there in front of you and you can just like needle in and like make it better. Right. I love doing that. That's one of my favorite parts of the whole process. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that this varies from project to project, but as a designer, where do you like to start in the design process? Like, is there a thing that you will usually think about first when you're thinking about how to approach a project? I think about other movie posters, which feels like cannibalistic and lame. No, I don't think so. (laughs) I mean, again, like I'm super into old movie posters. Like, Again, all the posters in this room behind me are from, like, the 60s and 70s. Yeah. (laughs) And typically international, too. Mm Mm-hmm. I love old design, and I know there's a lot of good movie posters out there these days. I just, I'm not very into the very Photoshop, like, superhero. Here are 70 actors. (laughs) They're all in this movie. Look how great they are. Yeah. That's not me. I don't know if I could do one of those posters. I, I would love to try. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They could absolutely <clears throat> hire me for the next Harley Quinn movie. I would love to try. Please, yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. However, like, my first thing on a new project is always going to be to go pull reference. And yeah. because of my brain, because I went to film school to be a director, mm-hmm. my brain is going to pull movie posters and punk album covers yeah. and the things in my life. And that's the thing that's kind of great about working collaboratively mm-hmm. with other designers as compared to being freelance and just by myself in my house for four years (laughs) every different artist and designer comes to a project with their own personal history Mm -hmm. baggage and experiences so we all have our own different likes and tastes and that's going to dictate how we see a project and how like so many people are going to see the same film differently yeah absolutely um and i I sort of want to talk about i guess your sense of personal style as well because how do you sort of navigate that in um, in an agency setting, which you are now, like in a design house? Like, how do you reckon with like still wanting it to, I guess, have like your artistic fingerprint on it, I guess, to some degree or not? And how you sort of get that across when the mandate is a little maybe a little less personal? My perspective going into working at an agency was to take all of the things that I'd been leaning on as, like, my personal brand of, mm-hmm. like, heavy contrast, right. like, like using threshold tool on everything, <laughs> getting things super grainy, super, like, collage super mm-hmm. monochromatic, 
I just threw that in the trash. Mm-hmm. I was like, we're done with that. No more. That's wow, my painting yeah. agency job. I want to do completely different stuff. I wanted to get a completely different angle on how yeah. I was approaching design. That seems like a very healthy approach to it. Yeah, I like, I don't know. It seems like it's like a shark thing. I got to keep moving. I got to keep changing. Yeah, it's also, because, I think, it, like not being precious about it, which I think is something that's very hard to do in a creative field, but very yeah. impressive when someone can do it. I, well, my first job uh, doing design work, I had a boss who would scream at me Oof. over my stuff and would like get super personal about it mm. and be like, you're such an idiot for thinking this would be a good idea. Oh my God. Like super, super, super personal and would always be like, we're not making art. Oof. And so I was like, okay, sure. And so now that I'm working at an agency, mm-hmm. th- stuff of mine gets killed. I'm like, hell yeah, cool. <laughs> Crumple it up, throw it in the trash. I don't want to work on that. I'm sorry it came from that, but I'm glad that you have a, you have this very healthy attitude towards stuff because I think it's something that I definitely struggle with and <laughs> not take things personally. I mean, I struggle with that in some regards, mm-hmm. but like when it, I think part of it is that like I never viewed design as my final art. I still mm-hmm. like I'm, I still write scripts. I still yeah. like I'm prepping a feature Exciting. as much as I can. Yeah, um, on like no budget. But, like, that's what I care about. That's yeah. where my passion and my art is. So this pays the bills. And I get to have fun with it. And I get to be creative. But it's mostly yeah. just, like, I'm lucky to be here. <laughs> like, I didn't go to school for this. I have no background or training in this. I just do this. And people yeah. pay me money for it, I guess. Like, <laughs> I'm just so lucky and stoked to be here. Because I love this stuff. And I'm just glad to be in the room. I mm-hmm. just, you know, I do have imposter syndrome. I'm like, they're going to figure it out that I'm just like flying by the seat of my pants. No. One of these days. We'll be back with more of Karen's conversation with Drusilla Adeline after this. the best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations. But if that's not on the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. I've used apps in the past to learn new languages, but when I came across Babbel, I wondered if it could help me refresh my knowledge of a language I once spoke well, but was now a little bit or quite a lot rusty. I have to say, I was impressed. The advanced lessons were really useful, tips and idioms that can help with in-depth conversations on topics that I can actually imagine chatting about. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and the tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners, at babbel.com working. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com working, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com working. Rules and restrictions may apply. This is the story of the one. 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Listeners, I hope you've been enjoying Working Overtime, the bi-weekly bonus version focused on listener questions that we launched at the beginning of 2022. We love to give advice and we want to answer your questions, respond to your concerns and generally share ideas. Is there a creative problem you're having or a creative practice that's working really well for you right now? Drop us a line at workingatslate.com or call at 304-933-WORK. And if you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Working wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to Karen's conversation with Drusilla Adeline. So you mentioned that you went to school to, be, to try to become a director. And I think that sort of explains the part of one of the other questions I wanted to ask, which is how you got into specifically film and TV as uh, a design, I guess, topic. Um, but how did you end up moving from that like into graphic design? It's very weird and backwards because I never studied design. Mm-hmm. I never studied Photoshop or anything like that. I taught myself. That's really impressive. Thank you. Well, it was because I was in high school and I was mm-hmm. playing bass in punk bands <laughs> and I was obsessed with movies. Mm-hmm. The band I was playing in in high school was named after a Cronenberg movie. Like, nice. It was not subtle. <laughs> so I would do little flyers for my band in Photoshop at my high school because my high school computers had Photoshop. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and at the same time, I was obsessed with movies. I was obsessed with the Criterion Collection And I loved the cover art. And so I would search out the designers for the Criterion Collection and, like, find their websites and find their blogs. And Mm -hmm. so people like Efron Miller and Sam Smith um, and Eric Skillman, who was Mm -hmm. the creative director at Criterion, were the way that I learned how to design. Mm -hmm. Specifically Eric Skillman's blog on designing the broadcast news cover. Oh, is what taught me like what you can do in Photoshop and how you can think about a movie in terms of capturing its essence and spirit in a single image. Because that cover for broadcast news perfectly captures that movie. And he built that whole scene from like three different angles, Mm -hmm. just using the stills from the movie, recreating moments that didn't happen. And it's incredible and it made me think entirely differently about that as an art and so that was just in my back pocket as something that I did for fun for years I went to film school in Chicago dropped out (laughs) (laughs) Uh, ended up in LA Mm -hmm. and was offered an internship by a former speaker at my college who was doing a startup Mm -hmm. and was looking for editors So I was like, cool, I can cut. Sure, fine. Less than a year into it, I realized they didn't have anyone doing the design work for this Mm -hmm. streaming startup. And I was like, I can just do that stuff really quick in Photoshop. Fine. Yeah. And then they were like, "Mm, we have other editors. You can just do this now. 
Oh, nice. And so yeah. I just kind of landed ass backwards into doing that yeah. for this little company. And it was paying the bills, sort of. Yeah. Not very well. <laughs> uh, and I kind of started to realize, like, I could do this. Mm-hmm. And so in 2017, I decided to do something that a fellow designer, a friend of mine, Scott Saslow, had done, mm-hmm. which was to design a movie poster a day, just as like a fan oh, poster, wow, yeah. for an entire year on my Instagram account, just to get myself like experience and a portfolio. Not long into that, in 2018, I started getting commissions by filmmakers, and then I started reaching out to like agencies and home mm-hmm. video markets, and they were interested surprisingly enough Mm -hmm. and so i was like okay i quit my job yeah that's awesome and beginning of 2019 i started sister high design and i was like i'm gonna just see where this goes as long as i make a little bit of money each month i can cover my rent and i can keep going so i started that in april Mm -hmm. of 2019 december of 2019 was my first criterion job and I wanted to ask about this because you've mentioned it a couple times about starting your own imprint, Sisterhood Design. What is, I guess, the difference between working just as a freelancer, just with your own name versus having like a, I, I guess LLC is like not the quite the right word. But it's like not having an LLC. An Please, yeah. IRS, if you're listening to this, it's not an <laughs> LLC. It never was an LLC. It's never going to be. It's just a name. I mean, so as a trans individual, I was in the middle of going freelance and starting all this stuff. And I was also, I hadn't legally changed my name yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I hadn't, I hadn't like decided how like much I was going to change my name. If I was going to like, I had like a list of names I wanted for myself and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was kind of like very self-conscious, like I'm already getting this work. I need to have a name to be putting on this. And if I change my name midway through, that's going to be weird. Right. And there's other great, um, designers out there that use pseudonyms to a degree that kind of to the brand themselves. So like Alphaville design Mm -hmm. is Tony Stella and Midnight Marauder. Midnight Marauder's name is not Midnight Marauder. Right, right. And so I was kind of like, all right, if I brand myself, that will help people see me not as just this person who's just trying. Like, please give me a job, (laughs) sir. But as someone who's, like, putting more thought into the work. Mm -hmm. And Sister Hyde specifically is the name of a Hammer horror film from Mm -hmm. 1971, directed by Rory Ward Baker. And it is exactly what you think it is. It is Dr. (laughs) Jekyll, except he turns into a lady. (laughs) It's a great film. It's a very important film to me. I watched it all the time growing up. Um, specifically for the trans vibes. Mm-hmm. I would watch, like, the transformation sequences on YouTube, <laughs> like, on a loop as, like, a teenager. Yeah. And so I was like, well, if you know me and you know I'm trans, right? that's a good joke. If you know this movie, you know more about me. But also, as someone who has a huge affinity for horror films and horror filmmaking and horror as an art and who loves to work on horror projects, I was like, if you get this joke... If you get, like, Sister Hyde, oh, it's a trans girl who does horror art. If you're ever thinking, hmm, we've got this queer horror film, or we've right. got this queer <laughs> film, or we've got this horror film, get Sister Hyde. Yeah. I wanted that to kind of, like, you know, work in people's heads. And it, I guess it did. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I mean, got a lot of horror work, and I got a lot of <laughs> queer work, so. 
Yeah, I guess I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but it does like sort of cover a multitude of bases in terms of what people will, I guess, associate with you or come to you for. Um, and I was wondering also about like when you are designing something for a home release versus designing something for a upcoming movie, for instance, like the the work that you've done for the Criterion Collection versus the one the work that you've done for, say, Armageddon Time or Funny Pages or Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Like, do you approach those two things differently? You have to. And I honestly, I love working on a catalog film, an older mm-hmm. title, specifically for Criterion, because they are so trusting and so yeah. experimental. I mean, not to say that Grandson isn't trusting and experimental. They're incredible, <laughs> both of those things. But the difference is that with a new film, there's no previous existing art. Right. No okay, one knows okay. this movie. No one's seen Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. No one's seen yeah. Funny Pages. They don't have a perception of it in their mind yet. And so you're making the first impression. Okay, yeah. And so there's a bit more heavy lifting to be done to kind of lay the ground for this movie. Because there's a lot of films that you can think about and talk about with friends that you're like, that movie's great, but the marketing is so bad. Like, <laughs> it's it, it was underground for so many years because they just didn't know how to sell it. And right. like, there's so many stories like that. That's true. So it's, you know, there's a lot more responsibility to that. Mm-hmm. working on something like The Elephant Man right. or Chen is Missing or Menace to Society without done with Criterion, those have, like, cultural cachet. Mm-hmm. Most people know The Elephant Man. Right, right. So the, you have a certain amount of leeway and kind of history that you need to reckon with but also do something different with. So it's a lot more research involved, which I like, and it's a lot more trying to find a new spin on something. Yeah. Which is exciting. And so The Elephant Man, for instance, like, it's the same composition. It's the same image and idea. Mm-hmm. But I re-illustrated it top to bottom uh, in a whole new style to kind of give it new life and new flavor. Um, which then allowed me to do new illustrations of Anthony Hopkins and other cast members inside the release, which was super fun. But... It, even just as subtle as like changing up the painting style, yeah. For that cover, I feel like affects you differently when you're looking at it. Yeah, and I, I actually did want to ask about the Elephant Man release specifically because, aside from doing the cover, you, you, as you mentioned, you did these pieces for the inside of the release as well. Was there already a sort of idea of what they wanted for inside uh, the edition, or was that how did you come to that? Like the different illustrations as being what would be inside. There wasn't. One of my favorite things about working with Criterion is mm-hmm. that you get to do the entire package. Right. So you get to design, you know, teeth to tail, everything. And that from, like, the layout of the booklets, uh, which you have lovingly written for, <laughs> um, and the design of the disc menus and the design of the discs themselves. Wow. You get to do all of it. I didn't realize it was that extensive. That's amazing. It's so much fun. Yeah. And you get to make sure that it, like the design like wraps around the whole thing. And that's yeah. my favorite thing is to build a campaign, to build a world yeah. like that. And so on the Elephant Man, in, like Criterion mostly has an idea for the cover in mind and then lets you expand past that. And so for the Elephant Man, uh, they had a few other ideas in mind, and they didn't really... They knew that probably 
David would want to do something similar to the original poster. So mm-hmm, that's what mm-hmm. he, they've done for a lot of his previous releases, like Twin okay. Peaks, yeah. and Lost Highway, and Eraserhead. But they wanted to try other pieces, and we did some collage pieces, we did some experimental pieces, we did some photo builds um, that they really enjoyed over at Criterion, but David just wanted the poster. Okay. And so early on, I had known that he might want to do that based on (laughs) what they did for Eraserhead specifically, and I pitched them, I was like, if we do that, this is how I can illustrate it. I can't illustrate most things, but I can illustrate things in this style, and it would fit for this movie. This kind of, like, grainy, heavy grain spray paint-ish kind of look that's more controlled, which is fitting for the, like, atmospheric smoke and vibe of early black and white Lynch films. And so I was like, if we're doing that, I can make companion portraits Mm -hmm. uh, beyond that for the Digipack, because additionally, that's one that's not just a snap case. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's it's a very, it's a beautiful edition. It's a cardboard box, which is like, that's what all Lynch's editions get yeah. because he gets the top of the top because he's the yeah. freaking best. <laughs> he's David um, Lynch. <laughs> he's David Lynch. Why would you give him anything less? Yeah. Um, but that's so much fun to design because you have a larger canvas to work with. Right, yeah. And so as soon as I knew that, I was like, well, I've got to plan something for all of that too. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was so much fun to do that. And my next question is a, a pretty broad one, but as someone who is in this field right now, what to you makes a good cover or poster? Or is there a difference between what you think makes a good poster versus what makes a good cover? It's very subjective. I think it's what captures the essence of the film, mm-hmm. the closest and the best, and what captures the interest of the audience. I like something, I like messy things, I mm-hmm. like super clean, minimal things. But as long as it's engaging and honest to what the movie is, I, you know, as someone who's worked with the Criterion Collection and with their artwork and as someone who's been a fan of the Criterion Collection for like 15 years, I see people every single month, whenever titles drop, immediately (laughs) hopping on them and being like, that's the worst cover I've ever seen. And every single time I'm like, that's great. Y'all suck. <laughs> These are awesome. That Citizen Kane cover, incredible. I thought I it was love good. It. It's yeah. awesome. The Arsenic and Old Lace cover, incredible. You're mm. a dork if you don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, sorry. These are great. The covers that they just did for the Safdie releases mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. like, Frownland, the Ronald Bronstein movie, um, and Daddy Long Legs, yeah. awesome. Super freaking cool. Like, <laughs> I I don't know. It's very, very, very rare that I see something and I'm like, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I I, I want to name I want to ask you like what poster has made you gone ugh but I won't ask but don't well we won't it's shame superhero <laughs> posters it's it's superhero okay. posters again I love what they did for like the Suicide Squad and Birds of mm-hmm. Prey and stuff like that I also just love those movies they're freaking incredible they're very fun um, yeah but like on the whole most of those Marvel posters that are all the same thing I'm just like I could care less yeah they're very homogenous for better or worse the, yeah. the Thor Love and Thunder ones. Mm-hmm. Were very good. I will mm-hmm. say those were very good. The movie was not, but those posters were very good. <laughs> well, thank you so so much for coming on and working to talk about your work and your process. It's been so fascinating to get a little window into what you do. Thank you so much. <sighs> thank you so much. That means a lot. Karen, I love that conversation, which left me wanting to watch more movies and buy several posters. Mm -hmm. I was 
fascinated by your question about where Drusilla begins a design assignment. And I really want to turn that on you. Do you have a go-to starting point for a new writing assignment? I would say that it's very, very instinctual, at least in terms of when I was um, doing more criticism, it usually had to be that something about a movie or a TV show would really stick in my craw. And then I <sighs> knew that that was where I wanted to start and kind of build out from. Uh, in terms of fiction writing in my screenwriting, it definitely is kind of more vibes based. Like maybe I see an image that's particularly evocative to me or listen to a song that I'm like, ooh, like I can imagine Whoa. this kind of scene happening to it. Or even like seeing an actor in something and being like, oh, I'd really like to write something for them. And like there's a bunch of different places that you can get inspiration from, which I realize is a very kind of bogus answer or a very, very bland or general no, answer. But no. inspiration really can't come from anywhere. Yeah. You know, I have to tell you a story. I So our new house, there's a cemetery very close by. Oh, yeah. And I'm not one of those people who hangs out in cemeteries. I'm not a goth. But, <laughs> but we have you know, gone there a couple of times. And I swear you just look at those very, very, you know, very concise summaries of life. And it's like the best writing prompts mm. I've ever seen. You like, Are you, you going to turn it to Edward Gorey? I swear, like you see like three lines and you're like, there are about 15 questions that come into my mind mm -hmm. when I see that. And I just want to go and like go off on, uh, on some fictional pathway with that. Yeah. Um, I was really taken with something Drusilla said about the early stage of a design when she tries several very different approaches to a project. You know, if she's working on a poster, she'll try something funny, something light, something scary, something romantic, something funny, you know, on and on and on. And that strikes me as an amazingly effective creative exercise. Have you ever done anything like that? And can you think of a way to incorporate it into other artistic pursuits like, oh, I don't know, um, nonfiction writing, maybe a book about uh, lesbian <laughs> places. <laughs> I haven't taken that approach, but I almost wish that I had or could. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm mm -hmm. definitely not a big risk taker. And it, or, it sort of ties back to one of the things that she was saying about not really being precious about the feedback that she gets yep. about her designs or like having to trash something entirely. I take that very personally, which I think I, <laughs> I say to her in the interview, like I have a very hard time not being precious about this kind mm -hmm. of stuff, which I think mm -hmm. is also part of why I, I don't approach my work the same way because I'm very afraid of doing something and it not being as good as I want it to in the first iteration, which is, I think, a fear that a lot of people have, even though it is ultimately a very silly one, like obviously the first draft of something is not going to be as good as one that you've taken much more time to work on. Yeah. But it's just a part of the creative process, I guess, and how you feel or how loose you're able to be with it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And speaking of loose, you know, there was something almost annoying in hearing, <laughs> the, you know, that she's so insanely talented yeah. at movie poster design. But that's not really the field where her artistic ambitions lie. You know, mm -hmm. she's a director at heart and she's putting together her own writing, directing projects as she works in design. And I almost wonder if that helps keep her design work loose. You know, maybe oh, we should yeah. all seek, you know, some similar, you know, I'm, I love doing this and I'm good at it, but my real passion is for something else. Like it just kind of keeps you kind of able to roll with the punches more, I suspect. 
Yeah, I think it's a very healthy approach. And I think it's something that we've talked about a lot on Working Too, where when we discuss burning out in your particular field or really being stumped, obviously, though, you want to be focusing on your passion. It's a good thing to have other creative avenues. And they all kind of feed into each other, where kind of the more outlets that you have for the energy that you have, and even like the more options you have open to you in terms of things to do, you feel less trapped, you feel less kind of stumped. Yeah. But yeah, it's always good to have other avenues. And I do almost think that you're right in that it's sort of an advantage. Like this is not the thing for me. So I'm able to be a little freer about how I approach it. Totally. Um, I really loved learning the story behind her sister hide branding, I guess you could Mm -hmm. call it, you know. And I also really like the idea of going by a name that tells a story whether it's about your taste, your history, and evokes your vibe. Have you ever pondered what your brand name would be, or at least the influences that it would draw on? I don't think I really have, partially because it does seem like such a big commitment. Like, I think that's what I find the most scary about it, and the most impressive in that she had done it, in that if you choose something, you have to stick with it, because if you keep changing it around, it defeats the purpose of your having done it in the first place. And also... To be able to sort of summarize your interests so succinctly, I think, is also something that's really something to be admired. Because a lot of us tend to take the sort of fliff-flaff kind of way. It's like, oh, like, I like this, but also I like this, and also I like that. Like, it really does take a level of commitment to be able to brand yourself like that. What about you, though? Have you ever thought about it? Or what do you think you would do? No, it's my my new obsession since I've heard this interview. Um, I think, though, I know what it would draw on. It would draw on, like, you know, some northern English thing, because I'm, I'm <laughs> even though I don't live there and I really haven't once I had a chance to leave, I'm, I'm still quite kind of, yeah. you know, that's, those, that's my place. Uh, so it would have some northern influences, maybe a northern soap opera. It would mm. probably, um, you know, have some sort of classic 70s lesbian culture vibes. I love that. Maybe, you know, some some of my other interests like Madras plaid. I don't know if I can get all those things uh, into one, like, (laughs) maybe two-word phrase, but uh, I'm going to be thinking of it from here on out. Yeah, I know also I I associate teeth and stationery with you as well. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes, got to get that into, see, it's it's really hard. Yeah, it is is a difficult task. We are in awe of your ability to pick Sister Hyde. Um, I've got one last lightning Mm -hmm. round question for you. Do you have a favorite movie poster? Oh, this is really tough because there are a lot that I like, but I think that my knee-jerk answer here is the posters for the Brian De Palma film Phantom of the Paradise. There (laughs) are a few different designs of it that have gone out, but each one of them is so like high impact and very striking design, not least in part because the movie itself is also really wild. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you go out and watch it. Um, But the posters are really good. And actually... In my living room, we have five movie posters up, and one of them is Phantom of the Paradise. So that wow. d- it obviously is one that I think about a lot. <laughs> wow. wow. Do you have a favorite movie poster? Well, kind of no. You know, mm. I, I'm one of those people, I'm a bit wishy-washy on this. I, I, I love movie posters, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, polyamorous about them. But <laughs> I'm going to use your technique. Two that come to mind, because I can't do just one. I love Mujeres al Borde de un Ataque de Nervios. 
I love Spanish posters. They're not quite as good as Spanish movie trailers, but Spanish mm -hmm. movie posters are always great. And there's something so like Almodovar about that one. Mm -hmm. And it just really is very evocative for me. And even though it's quite a plain poster or like a low concept, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. the train spotting movie poster just yeah. feels so iconic to me, uh, so expressive, even though like it's just picture of what five individuals just looking at a camera but uh yeah is is good it really it sends me there yeah again like i loved talking to drizzle so much because i love movie posters but yeah in similarly to like watching a trailer where you're like oh this trailer's really good like you tend not to think about the process behind it so much but yeah learning a little more about this was so much fun yes all right, that's all the time we have this week, unless, of course, you're a Slate Plus subscriber, in which case you will soon hear a little something extra from this week's interview. And if you're not yet a member, it's super easy to join. And if you do, you will get to hear those extra segments. You will get to hear entire separate episodes of shows like Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood. And you will never, ever hit a paywall on the Slate site. All you have to do is go to slate.com slash working plus to learn more. Thank you so much to our guest, Drusilla Adeline, and thanks to our wonderful producer, Cameron Drews. We'll be back next week with Isaac Butler's interview with writer and director Patrick Marber. Until then, get back to work. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.